Thank you for joining us for today's Practical Living broadcast, and I pray that through this message that you will learn how to apply God's Word and truths to any situation in your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. Well, today we continue a series of messages we started actually back in July, and I want to uh, sort of start the wrap-up process of this series this weekend and next weekend, and then, as you saw on the screen a few moments ago, the second weekend of of September, I should say, we start a new series out of the book of Jonah that I'm extremely excited about that I believe is going to be very beneficial to you, what to do when, so you don't want to miss that. But today and next weekend, we wrap up this series called The God of promises. The disciples of Jesus came to him one day, and they asked Jesus a question, actually made a request of Jesus. The request was this, Jesus, teach us how to pray. John the Baptist, he teaches his disciples how to pray, and the rabbis teach their disciples how to pray. Jesus, would you teach us as your disciples how to pray? And Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one. For thine, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We know that as the Lord's prayer. He says, start your prayer this way. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You can't pray effectively unless you know something about God's name. Because God's name represents His nature, it represents His character. And only when we know something about the name of God, because the name represents His character, His nature, His authority, if you don't know His name, His nature and character and authority, you can't pray with great faith in Him. And so Jesus said you're to hallow or honor the name of the Lord. So we need to know His name. Now, of course, we know the name of God. Jesus obviously is God. We know and declare the wonderful name of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. But all throughout the pages of Scripture, we're also given other names to describe God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, three in one. But there are various names that are given to us to help us to understand who He is, His nature, character, and authority. And many of those names, especially in the Old Testament, are linked to this primary name, Jehovah or Yahweh. Jehovah or Yahweh. Jehovah or Yahweh means I am that I am. I am your God. This is what was given to Moses when he was going in to speak to Pharaoh for the delivering of the children of Israel out of Egypt. He says, tell them that the I am sent you. The I am that I am sent you. I am God. There is no other. I am that I am. And then we see throughout the pages of the Old Testament, and then, of course, fulfilled in Jesus, various other descriptors added to the Jehovah name. And we call these the compound, the Hebrew compound names of God. 
And in this series, we've been looking at these names, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord who is our banner or who is our victor, Jehovah Shammah, the God who is present with us, Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord who is our righteousness or makes right, Jehovah Shalom, the God who is our peace. And then, of course, we talked last weekend about Jehovah Makedesh, the Lord who is holy or the Lord who makes us holy, the Lord who makes us whole. Those are seven of the eight compound names of God. Today we come to the final compound name of God, and that name is Jehovah-Rohi. Say it with me, Jehovah-Rohi. And this name of God is found in one of the most familiar passages in all the Bible. I would venture to say that everyone in this room Those of you watching online, you know this passage of Scripture that I'm about to read to you is found in Psalm chapter 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, or it can be translated Jehovah-Rohi. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Or as the New Living Translation says... The Lord is my shepherd. Read the last statement with me. I have all that I need. This psalm, the 23rd psalm, is loved by almost everyone that's ever read it, repeated it. Many of you perhaps have memorized it. It's a a passage that you hear over and over again, oftentimes at funerals, but you'll hear it in various places as well. It's a tremendously valued passage of Scripture. It's written by none other than David himself. And David writes this passage, the Lord is my shepherd, from a very unique perspective. He writes it having been a shepherd himself. In fact, the first time you meet David in the Bible, he's taking care of his father's sheep, Jesse. His father's name was Jesse, and and David was assigned the responsibility of taking care of the family's sheep. He's a shepherd in the Judean wilderness. And so David understands what it means to take care of sheep. But when David writes this particular psalm, he is not writing it from the perspective of being a shepherd. He's writing it from the perspective of being one of God's sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. Now as a sheep, I have all that I need. And so David says, let me look at this from a different perspective just for a moment. It's not about my shepherding. It's about God's shepherding of me. And you'll find all through the six verses of the 23rd Psalm, very personal pronouns. David uses I, me, mine, I, me, mine, over and over again, because it's a very intimate passage of Scripture. It's very some, something that's very near and dear to David's heart. He sees himself as one of the sheep of God. When did David write this psalm? Well, we don't know. Most scholars would agree that David wrote this psalm certainly toward the latter end of his life. Most believe that David wrote this psalm at a time when he was going through great distress over something. And a certain percentage of scholars and Bible teachers believe that David wrote this psalm at the time when his son Absalom was trying to take the kingdom away from him. I 
find myself in that group. I believe that perhaps David wrote it during the time when Absalom was trying to take the kingdom away from his father. A very difficult time when David has to leave Jerusalem and realizing he doesn't know what's going to happen to the kingdom he's worked so hard to establish. But he remembers that the Lord is his shepherd. He has his trust and confidence in him. It really doesn't matter when David wrote it. What we do find here are great words of instruction for us that teach us how much God cares about us. Okay. And that's what I want to focus on this weekend and next weekend. I want to talk to you about how much God cares about you. How much he really cares about you. Because as surely as the Lord was David's shepherd, the Lord is your shepherd as well. If you know Christ as Savior and Lord of your life, you've entered into a relationship with God and God is has made a commitment to you. He's promised you to be the shepherd of your life. Now, if you don't know Jesus, I would suggest you get to know him today, okay? And come into the family of God and receive him as Lord of your life so that you can be a part of this great flock of God cared for by the shepherd. But I want to talk to you about how God cares for you. And this psalm is so rich, I would not, it would be wrong of me to try to cover it all in one message. I could literally do six or eight messages on this one psalm easily easily. I mean, we could almost go word by word through this passage and study it and see, get great benefit from it. We don't have time to do that during this season. I've done more extensive teachings on it in the past. Likely we'll do more in the future, God willing. But for this season, we're going to break it into two parts. We're going to talk this weekend and next weekend about how God cares about you. I want you to say with me this morning, God cares about me. Say it. God cares about me. The Lord is my shepherd. Say it with me. The Lord is, is my shepherd. And Jesus made clear that we have access to the Lord as our shepherd through relationship with him. In fact, he says in John chapter 10, I, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I am your Jehovah-Rohi. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So it's the same God, Old Testament and New Testament. When David said, the Lord is my shepherd, Jesus said, I am that shepherd. I am the good shepherd. So let's talk about three ways today, and we'll talk more about it next weekend, that God shows how much he cares about you. How does he shepherd your life? First thing for today is to understand that the good shepherd feeds us. He feeds each one of us. Fresh grass and clean water are vital to the health of livestock. You can't keep a healthy flock, any kind of flock, without making sure they have good pasture land and good water. We know that sheep are used for, for wool and they're used for feeding people with. And so their health is going to be determined by their diet. Okay. That's true in any human organism, the health is determined by the diet. The problem with sheep is that they're dumb, very dumb, okay? And they don't know how to distinguish between good food and bad food and good water and bad water. Left on their own, they'll eat poisonous plants. See, some animals will recognize a poisonous plant and they will not eat it. Instinctively, they know not to eat that by smell or whatever the case might be. They discern what they should or shouldn't eat. Sheep are not like that. They just eat whatever is before them. 
and they don't know how to distinguish between good water and poisonous water. Many animals as well will come to poisonous water. They will smell it, realize I'm not going to drink from this and refuse to, but a, a sheep will eat basically anything that it finds to nourish on and will drink any kind of water that they find access to. They will settle for an inferior diet if they're, if they're, not, if it's not, they're not careful or taken care of. So a good shepherd knows how to make sure that, that that shepherd gets the sheep to lush pastures and to the best water supplies. In fact, in ancient times, even up until today, good shepherds will actually create pasture land for their sheep, and they will dig wells for their sheep. In fact, you will see in the Old Testament times, for example, when Abraham would travel throughout Canaan, he would dig wells. Why did he dig wells? He, dig, he would dig wells certainly for his family, but also for his livestock. You'll see many times in the Old Testament, people showing up at wells with livestock to be fed, to be nourished there, or taken care of there, like camel and sheep and so forth. So we see that shepherds take care of their sheep. A good shepherd is intentional and diligent in getting the sheep to the right pasture land, the right nourishment, the right refreshing. David understood this because as a young shepherd boy serving his father, he'd always made sure that the sheep had good food and the right water. He'd made sure that his dad's sheep were well taken care of, and he knew that the Lord would not do less for him. The Lord is my shepherd and then he says this, he makes me to do what? Lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet or still waters. David says, just like I took care of my dad's sheep and I made sure that I got them to the green pastures and I made sure they had healthy water, I know God will do the same thing for me. Dear one, Please know today that you have a shepherd who will feed you what you need in your life, okay? How does he feed us? Well, he feeds us in a variety of ways. Certainly, he feeds us spiritually. I'm going to come back to this in a moment, but notice these passages. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So we're fed by God. Jesus, in fact, identifies himself as that bread. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die. Your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. So we see this promise that God will take care of us or feed us spiritually. God will take care of you physically. Did you know that? You can have confidence that your physical needs will be met. David, when he was old, said... I've been young and now I am old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed out begging for bread. Isn't that good to know? That's what David said, okay? And so Jesus, in fact, promised this. Matthew 6, don't worry about these things, these physical things. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father, your good shepherd, Jehovah Rohi, already knows all of your needs. He'll take care of you emotionally because we all have emotional needs. Look at this. Peter writes and says, cast all your care on him, on Jehovah Rohi. Cast all of your care on him because what he cares for you. So God cares enough for you to, to meet 
every need in your life. He promises to nourish you spiritually and mentally and emotionally and and physically in terms of the physical needs of your life and relationally. He says, I will take care of you. I do want to say one thing and emphasize one thing, however. The most important need that you have in your life is, is spiritual in nature. And the most important need that you have in terms of feeding is you need to be fed spiritually above everything else. You can have all the riches in the world. You can drive the nicest car, live in the nicest house, wear the nicest clothes, know all the nicest people, have the greatest positions, and be miserable. You can do all those things and be empty on the inside. Nothing wrong with any of those things I've mentioned. Absolutely nothing wrong with them. But I'm telling you that your most important need in life is not physical in nature. It's not even emotional in nature. Your most important need in life is spiritual needs. If you're not fed spiritually, you're going to be in trouble in other realms of your life. You may have other things that are supplied in your life, but you're never going to be fulfilled in your life. Because your greatest need, everybody has a void inside of them that's searching for God. Okay. And there's only, nothing else fits. It's like a puzzle piece. You ever tried to, you know, like a big jigsaw puzzle, and you've got a, a piece that's missing, and, and you know you're trying your best to find the piece, and you try to slam something else in there, and it's just not going to fit. You do everything possible to try to make it fit, and it doesn't fit until you find exactly the right piece and it goes in there and the picture becomes complete because the right piece is in the right place. The same with God. You need God more than anything else in your life. You need to be spiritually fed. And so the Lord promises to spiritually feed you. How? Through his word. Obviously he's given to us his word. The Bible is referred to as bread, as honey, as milk, as water, as meat for our lives. And so you need to partake regularly of God's Word. That's why it's such a wonderful thing that you're here today. What's happening right now is whether you realize it or not, at least as long as you're listening right now, you're getting some food coming your way. You've been, you're being served a meal right now. You're partaking of something that's feeding you on the inside. That's why it's valuable to, to not only hear the teaching of God's Word, but to engage in the reading and the study of God's Word. That's why it's valuable to participate in a class here at church. Why? Because you're getting fed the Word of God. So you need to eat well. If you don't eat of God's Word, you're going to have spiritual malnutrition in your life. And then, of course, you need to be fed through the Spirit of God. Let me talk about that just for a moment. We often think of God the Father and God the Son, but we don't think a whole lot about God the Holy Spirit. But please remember that God is three in one, one in three. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so just as real as God is and just as real as Jesus is, the Spirit of God is real as well. And when you accept Christ as Lord of your life, the Spirit of the living God comes to live inside of you. The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence inside of you. He is in you if you know Jesus. You can't even call Jesus Lord without the Spirit being in you. So if you're, you're a believer in Christ today, the Spirit has taken up residence inside you. The Spirit is in this place this afternoon. Do you know that? You can't see him. You don't even have to see him nor feel him, but he is here. He said, where two or three have gathered, I'm there. He's here. 
part of our problem is we don't take time to quiet ourselves, to recognize the freshness and the quiet waters of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Can I invite you to do something with me just for a moment? Would you just open your hands in front of you right now? And would you just pray this prayer along with me? Holy Spirit of God, I welcome you into my life today. I receive your fresh spirit, your renewal. Forgive me for every time I've quenched you or grieved you. You are welcome in my life, Holy Spirit. Help me to listen. Help me to respond. Help me to honor you, Spirit of the living God. Fall afresh on me in Jesus' name. See, you need to practice that kind of thing regularly where you sit back for a moment and say, I need the quiet waters of the Spirit in my life. In the midst of all the turmoil around me and all the the, the muck and mire of the world and all the noise of the world, can I pull away and can I just open my heart to the feeding of the Spirit of the living God in me, the Word and the Spirit, the Spirit and the Word. It feeds us. You don't want to be malnourished as a believer. And then I'll tell you something else that feeds you, whether you realize it or not, being a part of the church. You need the church. Now, I'll tell you something about the church. The church is not perfect. A lot of people, I don't want to be a part of the church. They're just a bunch of hypocrites. Well, yeah, that's what church is for. Church is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners, okay? okay? And we're all broken. We're all a little messed up. But Jesus is in our midst, amen, okay? Jesus is working on us. And I need you even in your imperfection. And you need me even in my imperfection. We need one another because we can't make it. Never denigrate the church because it's imperfect. People go, I'm looking for the right church. Good joy. <laughs> looking for the right church. What they mean is the perfect church. And I always tell them, if you ever find the right church and the perfect church, please don't join it. You're going to mess it up immediately, okay? <laughs> Amen? True, right? Okay. As soon as you joined that church, you ruined everything. Because you brought you in with it, okay? And so we're looking for perfection. We're looking for everything to be... But no, the church is imperfect, but it's God's place, okay? And we need one another, and we need the nourishment that comes from being with other believers in Christ, as imperfect as we are in the process of following Jesus. We need each other. So God uses His Word to feed you, His Spirit to feed you, His church to feed you. I'll mention one more thing here. He has designed opportunities and experiences in your life to feed you. They're unique things that only you will ever go through in your life. But it's God's way of doing things in you because you are you. Okay. And so he knows how to do stuff in you to grow you, to build you up, to make you into the person you need to be. And you can't compare your journey with somebody else's journey because God knows exactly what you need. And so that's why at times you get frustrated. Oh, God, look at what they're going. They're, they have life easy. Look at what I'm going. God says, no, I'm doing something unique in you because I know you. I know what you need and what will build you up and make you stronger. You can either benefit from these things or fail to benefit from them by your choice. Look at this passage of Scripture. 
Read it with me. A wise person is, what are they? Hungry for knowledge, for godly knowledge, while the fool does what? Feeds on trash. Wow. I'll tell you, there's a lot of trash in our world that you can feed on. If you're feeding on the trash of the world, you'll never have the right kind of hunger for God, okay? It's like junk food before a meal. Don't eat all the cookies before the main course comes, okay? Get the main course and let the main course satisfy your soul. So God feeds you. He's there as your shepherd. Here's the second thing that we must understand about the care of God. Not only does he feed you, but the good shepherd does what? He restores us. The work of a shepherd is restoration. Now, David declares here, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. I want you to know this is a sequence here. There's a sequence, a very unique sequence that you must understand. They come in an order here, and I'll come back to that in a bit. The word restore means to repair, to put back together again, to refresh, to return, uh, to bring something back to its original condition. That's the basic idea. We talk about restoring an old car. People restore uh, maybe classic cars, and bring, they bring them back to their original condition. Well, that's what God wants to do. He wants to restore your soul, your innermost being that has been broken. And restoration is the work of a shepherd, and restoration is the work of love. It's the work of grace. It's the work of compassion. And everybody, at some point in time in our lives and throughout our lives, we need to be restored. Everybody. There's not a single one of us that are so perfect that we don't at times need the shepherd to restore us. And so we can have confidence in our shepherd because he feeds us. We can have confidence in our shepherd because we know that he's there to restore us. He's there to restore our soul. Now, how or when do we need to be restored? I'll give you three examples of this very quickly today. I could give you a lot more. This is not an exhaustive list, but it's a quick list for you. There are three things that I think you you may be able to relate to. First of all, he restores people who are sheep that become what we call perimeter sheep. What is a perimeter sheep? A perimeter sheep is someone that's kind of drifted away from the flock, and they're on the edge, okay? They haven't completely wandered away, but they live life on the edge. You know what I'm talking about? Edge of Jesus and the world. They're not completely walking away, but they walk, they they own that fence line. If I were to, I'm not going to do it today, but if I were to walk the edge of this platform, it would make a lot of you very nervous. It would make me nervous, okay? Because the edge, I'm walking on the perimeter of this platform, and, and just the slightest thing can get me in really big trouble. And a lot of Christians who live their lives that way, they, how far can I get away from God without completely living, leaving God? Let me get as close to the world as possible. Some of you are getting nervous right now. I'm not going any further, okay? As close to the world as I can get without leaving. Jesus, I see you over there. I still remember you, Jesus. But where are we? We're on the perimeter. And the Holy Spirit of God, God the Good Shepherd, does everything possible to go after that perimeter sheep. Because here's the problem with a perimeter sheep. They are 
have made up their mind, they're hard to reach, they're stubborn, they're independent. They want to do their thing instead of God's thing. If you're here today and you're on the edge of Jesus and the world, the shepherd is after you, okay? He's coming after you because he loves you. He knows you're in dangerous territory. See, that sheep that gets on the perimeter doesn't realize it, but they're just a step away from danger. They're, they're actually very close to the potential of a predator grabbing them and doing great damage to them. Amen? So perimeter sheep. He restores the perimeter sheep. He restores the wandering sheep. There's a difference. This is a difference here. The wandering sheep, they just blew on past the perimeter. Okay. They're out in the wilderness. They've left God, forgotten about God, doing things their own way. And they once knew God, loved God, but now they've walked away from God. And the good shepherd doesn't forget them either. Isn't that good to know? He doesn't forget you if you're a wandering sheep. Jesus said, there was a shepherd that had a hundred sheep and one of them walked away. He had 99, but he left the 99 to go find the one that had walked away. That's the heart of a shepherd. And so if you're a person that has walked away from God, you know you're in this room today because the shepherd's been chasing you. You wouldn't even be here if it had not been for the shepherd. You, it, I mean, we could see the heel marks in the, uh, in the parking lot how the shepherd drug you in here today, okay? <laughs> you didn't want to be here. But somehow, through some situation, you got dragged. You're dragging me to church again? No, they're not dragging you to church. The good shepherd's dragging you to church because he loves you. He cares about you. It's dangerous to be out there. They're wolves and all kind of predators. You don't realize the danger. See, that sheep that wanders away doesn't realize what's out there in the wilderness. That's why the shepherd says, I got to leave these 99 right here. You take care of them. I got to run find the one that's out in the wilderness. They don't realize what danger they're in. So the good shepherd goes after the perimeter sheep. He goes after the wandering sheep because they're not just stubborn. They are Rebels, okay. They've turned away from God. But there's one more category that we all fit into. You've been there before. Maybe you're there right now. That's the cast sheep. Another term for this would be the downcast sheep. And the shepherd goes after the perimeter sheep. He goes after the wandering sheep. But he also goes after the downcast, the sheep that's been cast down. Let me explain what that means. Shepherds understand this as they take care of their flocks. Oftentimes a sheep will trip and fall. They will step in a hole somewhere. They will get themselves in some kind of trouble and get turned over on their backs. And so they end up lying on their backs with their four legs up in the air. Picture that with me just for a moment. So you got this sheep, and he's back on his back. He's got his four legs up in the air. And the problem with sheep is that they, they don't have the ability to turn themselves back over. Okay? The center of gravity shifts with that sheep, and so they're back on their back. Their, arm, their legs are up in the air. 
And what happens over a period of time is that the circulation begins, the blood flow to the limbs, these four limbs begins to be drained from them, and of course they go numb, and little by little organs begin to shut down, and a shepherd will tell you that as soon as as a, a sheep is cast, if they don't get to that sheep quickly, vultures start circling them. Because the vultures realize it's just a matter of time before they're gone, okay? It's just a matter of time before they're dead. And so we're going to start our circling now because we know we've got a meal coming up here, okay? And a good shepherd sees a cast sheep who's down on his back now, doesn't have the ability to get up. And what a good shepherd does is a good shepherd goes over, one of the first things they do is begin to massage the legs to get the circulation flowing again, flip the animal back over again so it has the ability to stand up and enter back in with the the flock again and bring the cast sheep, turn him upright again so it can function well. And that's how God works in our life. Every one of us have found ourselves, there's not a single exception in this room today or watching online, that at some point in time you haven't been cast down. Amen? Maybe it was through your own stuff. You just you, you goofed up. You made a mistake in your life. You tripped and fell somewhere. You stepped in a spiritual hole somewhere. You ended up on your back. And you're just like, how am I going to ever get up? I can't get up from this. I want to tell you, yes, you can. Because the shepherd knows how to get you up from there. The Lord, yes. The Lord is my shepherd, Jehovah Rohi. I have everything that I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside the still or quiet waters. He restores my soul. But now we come to the third thing. What does the good shepherd do for us? The good shepherd leads us. He feeds us. He restores us. And he leads us. There's another thing that we need to note about sheep. They have no sense of direction at all. They're dumb, which means that's why the Bible uses sheep as it relates to us. Okay? We just do dumb things. Anybody done any dumb things ever in your life? Yeah, we all have, right? Okay. Because we're sheep. Okay. So they don't have any sense of direction or left alone. They just wander around with no path. No sense of direction. That's why, shepherd, that's why sheep need shepherds, okay? Sheep need shepherds. You don't, I mean, you can put, a, a, you can put a, f- a bunch of cows out in a field. You don't have to put somebody out there with them all day long. They generally don't get themselves in trouble. But sheep are going to get themselves in trouble because, again, they wander. They need someone to lead them. So it's very clear that we need a leader. We need to be led. And so David says this, now that I know this about the shepherd, he's a good shepherd because he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake, for his namesake. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. What does this mean? It means very clearly David understood, and we should as well, that God has prepared a path for each one of us. God has a will for your life. God has a plan for your life. You're not an accident. God purposed something for your life. You're not just on planet Earth taking oxygen in and spitting back out carbon dioxide. No, God has a plan and purpose for your life. You are somebody to God. There's a value to your life. He has a plan for your life. 
And the greatest plan for your life is not the plan you will come up with for your life or someone else will give you for your life. The greatest plan for your life is God's plan for your life. And there's a plan for every sheep. Young person, hear me today. You may be 12, 13, 15, 18, whatever your age is. Don't, don't pursue life based upon your plan. Ask God for His plan. And if you're 40 or 50 or 60, God still has a plan. If you're 70 or 80, God still has a plan for you. I truly believe this. If you're not dead, you're not done. Okay? If you're not dead, you're not done. Okay? So God has a plan. He'll take you right where you are today and get you into the plan that he has for he's prepared a path for each one of you. Second of all, God's path have boundaries. See, every time a shepherd leads a flock, he leads them on the path, but he also makes sure that they understand their boundaries. Don't go over here and don't go over there because there are briars and thickets over there. You'll get caught in them or there's poisonous water there. There's trouble here. These are things you shouldn't eat. Stay on the path with me. And so God gives us some boundaries. That's what his word is. That's why he says, this is right and this is wrong. This is good. This is bad. Stay on the path with me. He leads me in paths of righteousness what's right for our lives. It doesn't mean that we're never going to get off the path, but it's realizing there's some boundaries that we need to stay in, and we get in trouble when we get off the path. So God's paths have boundaries. And then thirdly, God has promised to lead us in the right path. I love this part. so valuable to remember. God doesn't just say, oh, here's my plan for your life, and here are the boundaries. Hope everything works out for you. I'll check back with you in 30 years. No, God says, here's what I want you to know. Here's the path I have. Here's my will for your life. And here are the boundaries that I want you to walk in. And always remember, I'll walk with you all the way, okay? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be as close as the mention of my name. I'm right there with you in the journey. I'm going to continue to lead you along the way. You never have to worry. If I've departed from you on the path, I'm with you for the long haul. I will complete, as we talked about last weekend, the good work that I began inside of you. And then the last thing we're going to be done today. Spiritual nourishment and soul restoration prepare us to be guidable and guided. I'm going to show you a sequence here. This is important to understand. It will prepare us for next week as well. I told you a moment ago there's a sequence to this psalm. You need to understand it. Let's go back over again. The Lord is my Jehovah Rohi. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. Okay, right? What do I need? Well, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. I'm fed by him. If I'll partake of the right food, it's there for me. Okay. The table is set. I just have to sit down and eat, right? He's not going to make you eat, but he sets the table for you. So he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. And then he restores my soul. And then he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. If you're not feeding, you're going to miss restoration because it's the feeding that produces restoration in your life, partially, 
And if you're not being restored, you'll never walk well in paths of righteousness for his namesake. It's a sequence. Let me explain what I mean. If you're, and the central part of this is your soul being restored. That's right in the heart of this. If you've got stuff in the inner part of your being of wounds and maybe bitterness, anger, resentment, feelings of rejection, trauma that you've never really brought to God inside of your soul that you still are carrying around inside of you, it's, it's, it messes with you on the inside. You'll never walk well if you're broken in here. Are you hearing me? Okay. If you're broken in here, you're not going to live well out here. Okay. So the Lord wants to restore you on the inside so that you can walk in paths of righteousness for his namesake. The more restored you are, the more righteous your walk will be. Can I say that again? The more restored you are, the more righteous your walk will be. And that's why we have classes here like Steps to Freedom. About 20 years ago, I wrote this little book called Steps to Freedom. Because I saw Christians wanting to walk, trying to walk in paths of righteousness. And they wanted to do it right, but, but stuff kept tripping them up. Because they had stuff in their soul that was still not dealt with. And so... It's only when you deal with the stuff in your soul that you're able now to walk effectively. And so we established, we uh, wrote that little book called Steps to Freedom. And we've had classes now for Steps to one of our core classes. That's why we have things like Celebrate Recovery. So that people can deal with these issues inside. Because these issues will mess you up. They will trip you up. And the Good Shepherd cares so much for you that he wants to provide the table for you. The good food and the restoration so that you can walk in paths of righteousness. Get this, for whose namesake? For his namesake, amen? So that people will look at your life and they will say, I know that person. There's no way they could be that blessed if there was not a God, okay? There's no way they could be living a life like that if we're not for something else at work. And it is for his glory and his honor and his praise that he does this work. And I see all of it points back not to us, but to the one who has shepherded us through the most difficult aspects of life. The Lord is my shepherd. His name is Jehovah. Rohi. We're going to put a really big comma right there, okay? And so you got to be back next week because you only got one wing of your airplane right now, okay? No airplane flies well with one wing. Come back next week to get the second wing, all right? So we'll understand the rest of this passage. Bow your heads with me as we pray. Father, we love you. Jehovah Rohi, we honor you today. We welcome your work in our life. Help us to eat the good food you, prov- you provide us. Restore our souls so that we can walk in paths of righteousness for your namesake. We ask it in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. And you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God. And I promise you that he will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of his name. Say, Jesus, 
I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.